Hello and welcome to the Murder Me and Monday podcast. Being quick, Mother doesn't listen back to the podcast during or even post when it's fully edited. Now, that gives me some creative freedom as I could twist whatever she says and I kind of do in the outtakes at the end. I mean, I could make her sound like a mini Hitler, but I'm a good boy and choose to not do that. She legitimately doesn't know that I'm including this segment here, so this is what I, Cameron, am asking you, the listener, to do me a solid. I'm just a gibbon, the ape man behind the editing, and that's the easy part. It's mother that picks the case, does the research, and writes the script. The actual hard shit. If you could leave some feedback, it could even be, wow, your son is definitely a monkey, but that was a good podcast. It could be by email or by Instagram, I don't think it really matters, but either way, I feel like she would really enjoy that. But that's enough of me. Please enjoy the podcast. Peace. 24th of November 2015, Michelle decided to open the package that was wrapped in plastic and stuffed under a wooden planter on the shared patio at her flat complex. Michelle had been told about the package, which had been put there by her neighbour who had died the previous month. The neighbour had asked, as a dying wish, for this to be put back in the loft. That back is possibly significant. And to be left there as a marvellous prank for the new tenants of the flat after their passing. Michelle actually wanted to prank a friend first before carrying out her neighbour's wishes, so roped her other friend in, Rianne, to help. Michelle and Rianne set to work with ordinary kitchen knives, not a Stanley blade or box cutter in sight. And after cutting through 41 layers of plastic wrapping, layers of tin foil, old bags and even roofing material, the smell that came from the package as the layers of plastic were cut through were the first indication that something wasn't right. Then Michelle started to scream. No, it wasn't a mannequin. This is the murder of Paul Sabine and this is Murder Me on Monday. Why do you struggle to talk? Because you put me on the spot and I don't realise that that because, bit's coming. But you know, and you, you wanted me to, to you do... You know how we said we'd do this yes. next week when we mentioned this yes. last week? This is now. But you didn't you, you, you didn't uh, actually lead in with what I thought you were going to lead in. Fuck, surprise. So what's been happening this week then, Mother? I changed it up because I didn't, yes, I didn't, because I didn't I want to say that. I had something to actually well, you contribute. Well, kept, you kept on your toes. It's been a weird week all round. When this comes out, it's usually a week after we record this because we have a life. And, and it gets edited the day before it gets put out. Yeah, it gets a bit messy. So it's been a bit of a strange week weather-wise. It's been really, really cold. Um, and I was pottering about one morning, as is my want, about eight o'clock. And I looked out the window and we got two chickens wandering around in the driveway. We live in a small town in the home counties in the UK. You don't expect to see chickens in your driveway. We had our friendly uh, psychologist that we mentioned previous episode land me with some amazing research that I didn't know existed. I've now got 17 papers to try and get my tiny little brain cells round and figure out actually what's being said. So that's going to be fascinating. I'm sure I'm going to end up with hundreds of questions for them, which they're going to be like, why they're going to listen to this this and be like, oh no, I've made them panic. I'm such a bad person. (laughs) No, it's more a case of, well, uh, Well, yeah, it's it's information you want and information you need. But when you're not involved in the academic sphere or stuff like that, when you read it, you you have no idea what that means a lot of the time. No, I can, I can see me actually looking up a number of words and phrases and I'm 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 going to be I have questions is it the Dunning-Kruger effect is that bell curve of you think you know a lot and then you start learning about a topic and it quickly drops off or is it that thing where people who know very little of something have a super high amount of confidence in what they're saying 
versus someone who's super knowledgeable, but they're sort of yes, yeah, it's that kind of thing. Isn't it's it? both. Yeah, it's both. It's it's going to be it's going to be um, yeah. There's there's a lot of brain cells that are going to be rattled by the end of this week. So the reason why I bring this up about why I'll. I'll I'll echo it again because I said this last time. When we start the podcast, and you, you're giving me the same looks as you did last week. It's your podcast and I'm here just to call people, um, to insult people and to get angry when animals inevitably die. Right? It's not inevitable. It, it's happened almost more times than it's not because I've brought it up each time. It's like, hello and welcome to the podcast. And then just wham. There's It's nerves. There's no foreplay. It's nerves. It's no different than when you go for a job interview and you walk in, you shake hands or you did back before the big C word, which we're not allowed to mention because we're still in bloody lockdown and probably will be till next Christmas. So the C word has two meanings. It's cancer or calling someone a cunt. It's now at the point where you probably want to talk about the case. So you can do that read thing now. Cameron asked for a case this week where the perpetrator was female, which is fair enough, right? Uh, Only because we've done like dudes every time. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's, let's, let's make it fair. Yeah. Um, got me to thinking about the fact that none of us like ones where animals and children are involved, which led to a memory of this case. And at the time, I remember being absolutely convinced when I saw a photograph of the murderer that I knew them. Somehow or another, I absolutely knew them. It's like one of these doppelganger effects. And I went and had a, a, a research and there's no indication that they ever lived anywhere near where we used to live, 400 miles possibly. But I couldn't shake that feeling. So here we are. There are children involved, but none were murdered. And there is a frog involved, but not in the way that you may think. I don't know what I'm thinking now. I'm thinking, is it like what those monkeys do to the frogs? Probably not. I don't actually even want to know about that one. I've <laughs> got no idea what you're talking it's what about. You're th- it's what you're thinking. No, it's not what I'm thinking. Right. <clears throat> so this case starts and ends in Wales and actually covers two continents. If anyone's listening to this that isn't English or from the UK, Wales is a place in the UK. I've got that further on in the episode. Well, I didn't know that. Well, now you know. Right, so I'll, I'll explain it further on. Um, in 1941, Anne Evans was born... 19, we're going back to 1941. That's when she was born. Fuck me, this is old. <laughs> Shut up. Almost oh. 100 years old. She was born in the little village... I've, I hope I pronounced this right. couldn't find any way of checking. Gelly... In or it might be Hwelly, but I don't think it is, in the Rhonda Valley in oh, Wales. Oh, when? Oh. Don't. She was born in the little village in the Rhonda Valley in Wales, which is about 30 minutes or 20 miles away by from Cardiff by road. If you... <laughs> the fuck? What did you just choke? I just choked. Right, if you're not familiar with the map of the UK, look at the map straight on, and it's the bit off to the left... Pointing out in the sea towards Ireland. So that's where Wales is. Anne had an older sister called Susan. And by all accounts, they lived a respectable working life with their parents, Margaret and Ronald, who was a coal miner. Until one day, Margaret upped and left after being accused of stealing. It seems it was... What was she, what was she accused of stealing? Uh, it was seems to be... Or is that going to be said and I'm ruining the plot again? No, it's fine. Oh, shut up. You talk. It was... Um, you wouldn't have known what this was. It would mean nothing to you. But it was at the time there was a, what was called a National Coal Board. They were responsible for all the coal mines in the UK. And it seems she must have worked for them because she stole a checkbook. Nobody has checkbooks these days. Nobody uses them. I've got probably four buried in a cupboard somewhere. But it was a big thing. You mm. could steal them. You could counterfeit them. They could get. You could make a lot of money off them if you knew what you were doing. But it would have been a big thing to be stealing. She just buzzed off. So Anne was aged five and her sister was seven. 
and they were shunted between relatives, uh, an orphanage and foster homes. Help for single parents like Ronald was non-existent back in 1946, so it would have been very, very hard for him as a, a working father. So father Ronald remarried. No idea when, but a divorce wouldn't have been easy to have had in those days, but desertion would probably have done it. The girls returned to live at home briefly before, in inverted commas, a rebellious scheming Anne was sent to live with her aunt Dorothy and uncle Leslie in London. Now, I have no idea if there were maternal or paternal sites, not clear, but a cousin, again, presumably in Wales, is on record as saying she's been less than kind about Anne, describing her as sneaky and vindictive. Um, maybe that's why she was shipped off. But it seems strange that they didn't take her and her sister together or even take them back when their mother upped and left. She was quite a bit older when she, she went to them. So Anne seemed to do quite well in London. She was spoiled rotten by this childless aunt and uncle. There's mention of designer clothing and being very, very indulged. And then she was encouraged to train as a nurse, which children left school in that day, 15, 16 years old. And she did at St Mary's Hospital in Paddington, London. It's still there. I did check. It was, Yeah, it's still going. Then in 1958, age 17, Anne met a patient called John Sabine, who was a 28-year-old accountant, Korean War veteran, and had started a relationship with him. 11 years age difference, and with her being so young, it's problematical in today's world. But what made it even worse then, he was married with toddler twins. That, was, that would have been a big scandal. So whether by accident or design, in an attempt to push the issue, Anne turned up at John's home pregnant. And he's said to have said to John's wife, what are you going to do about this? His wife promptly threw John out and Anne and John set up home together. Can't imagine her aunt and uncle were very happy about this escapade and no mention is ever made of them again in the retelling of this story. So... I no, no. Oh, so a little bit of thing there. Mum was talking and she just she just stroked my arm for no reason. I thought, is this like a code word for insulting someone? No, I like oh yeah, call them a dick or something. No. Yeah, no. I'm just I'm just sat here listening and then get my arm stroked. The fuck was that? Carry on. Right. In January nineteen fifty nine, John and Anne's first child is born, and they are eventually able to marry in November of nineteen sixty. So did his wife just get up and leave and then now No, she hoiked him out the door. So now Anne and John they're just together. Yeah, okay. which would have been scandalous in those times. And again, somehow or another, there was a lightning speed divorce that went through and they were able to marry probably uh, about 18 months after the child was born. Um, it did happen, but it was still scandalous. So I know it would have been frowned upon back then because there's like more conservative views and stuff. I mean, there's no Twitter. She's not getting cancelled anywhere. Do you know what I mean? I remember... She's not getting slagged off on TikTok. No, but if your neighbours found out, it was considered... I mean, I remember in the 70s, we had a discussion when I was I was at school and somebody had found their parents' birth certificate, sorry, marriage certificate, and realised their marriage certificate was dated after... They were born. They were born. And they were absolutely mortified. And that uh, was in the 70s. Who cares? I know now, but anyway, back then. So John and Anne went on to have three more children and they moved around the country. They were shaggers. Yeah, well, somebody obviously didn't know what birth control was and it was available back then. It wasn't, you know. Um, they moved from Kent to Hereford, which is on the Welsh border, and then to Swansea, which is in Wales, before up in Sticks in 1965 and emigrating to New Zealand. 
Apparently, this was after John was accused of fraud against his employer in the UK. Um, getting Being able to emigrate back in the early 60s wasn't, uh, you know, the trauma that people have to go through now, filling in forms and waiting two years to be approved. You basically paid your money, you got on the boat and off you went. Yeah, how common were flights then? You didn't flights, you went on a boat. It was a six-week... No, must have been longer than six weeks. No, it took you six weeks by boat to get... It, it used to take six months by boat, but I guess I'm probably thinking, like, a bit earlier. Yeah, you're thinking the sort of... Yeah. You're, no, no. Cause... You're thinking the 1800s. It used to take six weeks by boat, because I remember hearing about that, and I've, I, I remember school children that I went to school with, obviously, because we were school children, actually emigrating to Australia. And I remember their belongings going on these big containers on these boats and them telling us it would take them six weeks to get to wherever they were going in Oz. Fair. So, but anyway, they went to New Zealand, so. Um, and they went on to have a fifth child in 1967. So they're not stopping. 1969 is when it starts to get really dark with these two. We have a man who's on his second marriage, with seven kids. Five with... Anne, yeah. And two with the other. Yeah. Again, that's maths. Yeah. And I worked that one out. The first two have no contact with him. And well, are... yeah, because he's fucked off to New Zealand. Yeah, but there's such things as letters. Yeah, if it took six weeks by boat, it would take about a year and a half by letter. Well... So... Yeah. They are, in fact, actually subsequently told by their mother, the first two children, that he died in the Korean War, which is actually... It was long over. The Korean War was long over after they left him. The Korean War was ended in a couple of years before he actually buzzed off. You have a woman with five children by the age of 28. This is Anne. They're aged between two and 11 and is described as a nightclub singer. No mention of the nursing at this point. And the couple have been scraping a living together in New Zealand for the last four years. So Anne and John decided would be a good idea to leave the children at a nursery why 11 year old would be at a nursery i'm not sure but they buzz off to perth in australia from new why zealand why are you using the word buzz off you've used that three times now is, is that what's written in your little script the word buzz yeah i must have had bees on the mind or something do you want anyway. me to pay for um grammarly so you can have no. like a built-in thesaurus shut up <laughs> right they decide to push off to perth australia to fulfill her dream or it's been said, a family dream. But it's, they were too broke to come back and retrieve the five, yes, five kids. One of which, the 11-year-old, was definitely old enough to know what was going on. And it's hardly a family dream when you leave most of them behind. And she kept a framed blow-up publicity shot of her from back that da- in those days and had it on show uh, almost 50 years later. There were no... In her later life, there were no pictures of the children whatsoever. It was just this famed, framed publicity shot. So, of course, us being here will tell you that all of this was a lie. By this point, Anne was calling herself Lee Martin or Lee Jones. And it seems to be spelt L-E-E. And he was going by the name Paul Jones. They were reported as being having being recognised in New Zealand within three years of them going off to Australia. So they'd come back, but they'd conveniently forgotten to pick the kids up. <laughs> yeah. Apparently they adored them. It's come out in later things, but mm, it's a little unclear, but they may have had more than one go at making it in Australia with some mention of going on the run 
with John being accused of fraud again, but they were definitely back in New Zealand and working at Philip Morris, which is an American tobacco company, and breeding Springer Spaniel dogs in 1984. And that's what they were trying to make a living off of. Mm. But they were both working at... I don't know what they were doing at Philip Morris. I don't know if it was a factory out there. No idea. I just hoped that John wasn't an accountant because he seemed to have had sticky fingers. For whatever reason, at that point they decided to get in touch with the children that had been abandoned by them for 10 years. Yeah, you can imagine how that went. Um, If you go digging around, there are some very short clips uh, of some TV shows that actually they turned up at the house with the, the older children and they tried to film them a reunion and it really didn't go well. This Paul is slamming the door in the face of the children one of the daughters gets accused of assault. She slapped her mother around the face. Can't place a blamer. Um, you'd probably be pretty angry after being left for 10 years. And what really, really didn't go down well, when the girls, it was the girls that primarily pushed this, asked a simple question about why, and Anne refused to answer it. And she simply stated, I don't feel I owe you an, an explanation. You'd kick, her in the, you'd kick her in the neck. That's cold. So the New Zealand authorities obviously started an investigation into the abandonment of the children, but no charges were ever filed. One reporter even asked them directly, and they actually denied being the parents of these five children. So after months of this, they were obviously being dogged by reporters and things like that. They told their neighbours that they were going on holiday, and they up sticks again. Did they just run away again? Yep. They've but, got a habit of this, haven't yep. they? But they went back to the UK. They got as far away as they could possibly... They went back to the UK. Literally as far as possible. Yeah. Back in the UK, John, going by his name again, no longer Paul, and Anne set up home in a Victorian townhouse in Reading. In 1992, this is where this woman... There's something... Can I just say, what's more difficult? Owning up to abandoning your children for 10 years or whatever, or just deciding to completely move to the other end of the world <laughs> to run away from it? You'd think they'd keep their heads down, wouldn't you? The, the logic is so strange. But 10 years? You think to yourself, y- y- uh, I don't know. So you say they were abandoned at a nursery. Is that what sort of nursery do you mean? Do you mean like it was like an orphanage or that's where you drop your, kid off f- yeah. you drop your kids off for the day? Yeah. Oh, okay. Right, I'll just double-check. And, of course, they ended up in the system and... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, did the kids stay together, do you know? Yeah, as far as I can tell, they did stay good, together. At least. They didn't have a good time of it. They oh, really... no, no, but it, it probably they, they... would have been much worse if they were all separate. Yes, it, it probably would have been, but they were in and out of foster care. Because who wants to take five kids on? Exactly. It's a big It's a big job. They, If I remember rightly from some of the research, they, the government were... In the end, they had they got a house for them, and they had a team of care workers. So they were it was the five children living together in this house, and they had a team coming in on rotation looking after them. But they were still ended up being abused quite badly. Some of them as well. It wasn't they really had a rotten time of it. Um, so I, again, this is why you can't blame them as other adults asking their parents, "Why did you do it?" We don't owe you an explanation. But yeah, as I said, they were back in the UK. They set up home in a Victorian townhouse in Reading. I'm presuming this is private rent and I'll explain why. In August 1992, Anne appeared in a local newspaper after being sacked from her job at a department store, apparently for being over-friendly to customers and being told to stop calling them babe and darling. Why was that put in the news? 
Exactly, because she, she... Is that just a really slow day? Yeah. You think these little provincial newspapers, you know, somebody down the bowls club trips over and... Why put that... that? I'm hearing it now and it's boring. Yeah. Like, never mind if it's in the news. Yeah. But her former employer is actually described as... Well, her former employer says she was eccentric. And especially that, that language, babe and darling, it's quite... Is it affected? Or, yeah, affected... Um, going back to her, she had this stage presence, you know, she'd been a singer and all the rest of it. So she's playing on this and it, this leads on to her. She's all sorts of weird. Um, in 1997, the two of them were shown as being on council records and living in a two bedroom council flat in a place called Bedal, which is just 11 miles from her birthplace in Wales. Pretty sure that's a Pokemon. Yeah. <laughs> now the the former it's a former mining town. It sits in the Rhonda Valley. So uh, they yeah. So they've fucked off to like three different countries and come back mm-hmm. and just returned back to a mining town. How they managed to get a council place even in the nineties that wasn't easy. You, Look, you have to go on lists and wait. I know there's no centralized. I mean, centralized records would have existed, but they wouldn't have been as anywhere near sophisticated as they are now. How did they just move places so easily? Not when you get. Not when she's. Bouncing around and managing to get a council place. No, no, that's that's why I'm confused. I don't know how no, she managed no. to just bounce about and get all these different places. There's a book in there's a book in this somewhere. If somebody had the time and the energy and the contacts to be able to do the research, would there have been records of her going away? I mean, they would have been old enough now. Because I'm thinking she went to Australia or New Zealand and then Australia mm-hmm. with five kids. Come back without the five kids. No one asked any questions. Well, they went with three. Yeah, I guess and had two. But I mean, at this point, there's like, where are the kids in this? I know but, they would have been old enough because it would have been 10 years on. But even the youngest would have been about 12. So you... 11, yeah. But back in those days as well, you could get passports quite easily. There were old handwritten records, forgeries and such. They were not sophisticated. And if he's been... If John has been done for, for fraud... Might have been doing dodgy passports. You don't know. This is this 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 is one where I wanted questions answered, and I've actually ended up with more blooming questions. But that's a whole other thing. So they've ended up in this little place in the Rhonda Valley, which I said is just not far away. Apparently, this is a small place. It's got about five thousand people, so it is you know. Anne and John Sabine were on the voters' roll, which is something in the UK that you have to. Well, you don't have to. You can get away without being on it, but. You're normally on it to register to vote. That's why it's called the voters roll. And John was paid his pension every month. He got an army pension because, as I said, he was actually in the Korean War. And he would have been around 67 by my estimation at this point. So he would have gotten a state pension as well. Random background bit of information here. Some people might find funny. As mother's talking about this, she's gesticulating with her hands and basically like karate chopping the air each time as she's talking about it. She's like, the Korean War. <laughs> and I'm just seeing it. I'm like, you're going to hit the desk in a minute. Sorry. That's racist. You can't do that. What? <laughs> That's the sound you make when you do a karate chop. Fight me. It's got nothing to do with Korea, though. It was. Just, I'm just trying to say It didn't have time. to be. It's just anyway. the way you were saying. You were, anyway. Now, Anne is now calling herself Lee Anne. And there's many different ways that this Lee is spelt. Most of it is L-E-I-G-H hyphenated Anne. But sometimes it's spelled Lee. And she calls, she seems to switch around. You know, some people, Doris and, oh, I call her Dot and yeah. things like that. So it seems to be interchangeable, but it's definitely, it's all the same. She would have been around 56. 
strangely enough, none of this very close-knit community ever remember seeing John in the following 18 years. No one remembers him moving in, but he was on the voters' roll. He was on the, the, the council list for, as being a tenant. So I'll get into that a bit further on. Leanne, as we're now going to call her, seems to have carved out a life for herself. She hosted barbecues. She did tarot readings. Nothing is mentioned about any employment, but she was well known in the community and would often talk about her heyday as an entertainer, a model, a supermodel, would you believe, and being previously married. What's the qualification from being just a model to a supermodel? Is it specifically runways? Because you could be a model for like Calvin Klein and you can appear in magazines and on these posters in different... I'm sure. Shops. But is a supermodel specifically being on a runway? I believe it's runway and the volume of work that you do. Maybe. I don't know. And it, I, don't, I don't know why you would know that. No. Mm. Carry on. So she was a fake supermodel. Yep. And she'd apparently previously been married to a millionaire. Well, haven't we all? So, of course, as soon as any of her new friends and neighbours asked for more details, she would change the subject, be vague or just generally obtuse. Truth were, the stories she told about her past depended on her audience. She told some people that she'd been married a long time ago and that her husband had been violent and unfaithful and she'd left him in New Zealand before emigrating to Wales, where she was rehoused by a women's charity. But she told others that he had left her. Why a women's charity would rehouse her because of domestic violence when he was in New Zealand, she come to Wales? Okay, this time I'm not doing it. I'm rationalising with the, this woman who's presenting herself as a victim, so I'm helping her this time. Because if you've run away from someone like that, and then the idea is if you've come from somewhere like New Zealand to the UK, you're literally left with nothing. Because if it was in New Zealand to a New Zealand support network like that, the argument could be, well, at least you're in the same like country. But if you've gone from New Zealand to the UK... To me, it would make sense that they would prioritise those people because they literally have zero support network, i.e. they're from a completely different place. I don't disagree with you, but this was over 20 years ago and I don't think the thinking around that kind of help would have been quite as mature as it is now. But again, I'm speculating. She even appeared in an interview. Again, she can't keep out the press. It was a local gardening magazine. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I've got local gardening magazine and he's quoted as saying I really do love living in Bedal and feeling part of the community she said it's a special place yet the whole time she was telling anyone who asked her where she came from was New Zealand and she spoke with the accent too she didn't speak with a Welsh accent she was Welsh born and bred but she spoke with a New Zealand accent so She removed John's name from the tenancy in 1998. So this is one year after they both moved in. Oh, I'm alive at this point. I've got no... This this story started in 1941 and we've now just got to the point where I am actually alive. Yeah, I've got no idea how she managed to do that because normally you can't remove somebody. You've got to pay a lot of money, but anyway... She claimed single occupancy council tax discount, so she'd get 25% off a council tax. She continued to receive his army pension in addition to his state pension. So there's fraud there. And in August 2005, when he would have been 75 and eligible for, at the time, a free TV licence, she transferred it to his name so she didn't have to pay that either. So she's on a long con here, yeah? Imagine paying a TV licence. 
yeah, shut up. In or around <laughs> 2004, 2005, thereabouts, she entered into a relationship with a retired fireman, which appears to have ended quite badly. He, he, was, he lived there, or I believe he lived with her for about three years. From all intents, all accounts that I've read about him, he had an alcohol problem. His family admit that. The newspapers appear to have tried to make it out that she had something to do with his death. But his family say no. She probably messed with his head quite badly. This she... newspaper company is prolific. They're just everything. Like, warning, raccoon farts, and it just gets reported. No, no, no. This is a national newspaper. This is a national newspaper. After the after this event, when this all comes out afterwards, they tried to make out that she probably had something to do with his, his death because some of his family were obviously less than um, polite about yeah. Ms., Mrs. Sabine. And they said basically, no, he had his problems, but he went v- rapidly downhill and he did die 12 months after she kicked him out. But she actually placed a tribute message to him in the local newspaper and she possibly also cleared him out financially. That's a bit one of those sort of could only find it in one or two places. What is true, it seems, that is that after 40 years together, things hadn't panned out the way either John or Anne had actually wanted, going back to when they landed back in Wales. Leanne told a friend that John would cry and keep her awake at night, saying things like, you don't find me attractive anymore. And she got up, fed up with it. And apparently she hinted to the friend that she was the violent one, not him, even though she told other people he was violent with her. And got breast cancer in the 2000s. Um, she appeared to recover from it. But she had a fall at home, trying to get something down from the loft. She was taken to hospital, and it was discovered that the cancer had come... Oh, uh, is this a callback? To the start. Ah, okay, sneaky. Yeah. Carry on. Yeah. This cancer had metastasized and she was now suffering actually from brain cancer. It was terminal. It was inoperable. So a year later, this flamboyant character was dead, dying in hospital in two- October 2015, which lives- leads us back to our introduction. Michelle finding what wasn't a bloody mannequin on the patio. Okay, it's been like half an hour. Who is Michelle again? She's the neighbour. She's-, she's a friend and neighbour. So they go through these 41 layers. You po- you pointed at my little notepad thing I have. I, there's a lot. There's like four paragraphs in this thing. As, where am I going to find the name Michelle? Yeah, anyway. Where, where is Michelle in all of that, actually? I must have sent you the wrong one. That doesn't say Michelle. No, no I must have sent you the wrong one. No wonder, oh, I'm, no wonder I'm confused. Yeah. I'm vindicated. That wasn't me. That no. wasn't. That, it doesn't say Michelle. Carry no. on. Yeah. So Michelle runs screaming into the flat, shouting, call the police, call the police. Police are called. And the first reaction... Wait, so, sorry to interrupt again. No, carry on. She, you said there was 41 layers of this thing. Mm-hmm. Why was she so adamant at breaking down this 41-layered thing? If I got through the first 10 layers, well, ah, fuck this. So, as I said, the police are called. Police first reaction? They arrest Michelle. I don't blame them. Why are you in this person's house nicking stuff on there? She wasn't. It, the, this body was in the garden. It was a shared garden. She just opened it. They arrested her. 48 hours that poor woman was in custody. But the police were not sitting back and congratulating themselves that they caught this criminal, murderous mastermind. They were actually at a loss. There is very little serious crime in this area. South Wales police had no recent missing person reports, no assaults, no 999 calls. Initially... This is this made me laugh. They considered the possibility that the corpse had been dumped on the patio, patio by someone who had travelled there from outside the area. 
but the patio was accessible only via the flats. It was enclosed. I thought you were going to say something like they tried to claim it was dropped by like a bird well, or something. They might as well have done. I mean, there's people going around drum, dropping bodies that are wrapped up like burritos. I mean, you hear about these old nans that suddenly have weed growing in their garden where a, a bird has dropped it from the sky. It's been growing in their garden for years and they've mm-hmm. got this, this bountiful weed bush yeah. just in the garden. Well, it's like the, the urban myth, isn't it, of the bridges going around the M25 motorway. For those that don't know it, the M25 motorway is is, is known as the <laughs> the world's biggest roundabout. It's uh, a, a, a road that encompasses circles around the outside of London. I think it's about 150 miles long. And all the bridges are supposed to have bodies buried in the concrete as disposal sites, mm. urban urban legend probably, but anyway. Now, the pathologist identified foul play and a blow to the back of the head and said that the victim had died of blunt force trauma. The body was still wearing pyjamas with a St Michael label, which had been last used by Marks and Spencer in the year 2000. The pathologist found a hip replacement serial number so the police think, yay, we're going to go out and match it. And they couldn't find anything that matched up with this. So they did actually um, put out an appeal in the press. And while they were doing that, they discovered that a John Sabine had been registered under this joint tenancy agreement at the address in February 1997. February 1997, but it's 2000 where these pyjamas were last produced. So you've got a three-year window, yeah? John went on to register with a GP, and even ordered, but never actually collected a repeat prescription in the April of 1997. So very likely he died very, very close to that point. So finally, on 11th of December 2015, three weeks after the body was discovered, the police got a breakthrough. Uh, A relative of John Sabine came forward to provide them with a DNA sample, and it rematched the remains found. Now, a friend who had known the couple when they lived in Reading in the 90s came forward after seeing a BBC news report and told the police about a call she had received from Anne out of the blue in 1997. She'd asked Anne, who had just moved to Bedow, whether she was still with John, joking that she thought that she might have killed him or they might have killed each other by now because apparently their rows were actually quite legendary by from the people that knew them. And Anne said... I have killed him. I hit him over the head with a stone frog. And the, the friend just thought she, it was just one of those throwaway remarks because she... Is this the frog that might have been injured? No, oh, yeah. It's stone, mother. <laughs> yeah, but I just said, I didn't, didn't, didn't specify, did I? I said it was a frog involved, but not the way you knew. So the police then asked Michelle, this neighbour, I'm surprised she was still talking to them, about the possessions from the flat because it had been Anne Sabine's or Lee Ann Sabine's request that everything be disposed of from the flat and she'd written it all up, but it wasn't a proper will. And Michelle telling them that Lee had told her to take what she wanted after she died. And they asked her, don't suppose you've got a stone frog? And she had. Um, It was in a a shoebox amongst other things she had yet to sort through. And Ann Sabine had kept this two and a half pound stone frog by the side of her bed and pathologists matched it against the cluster of injuries and the skull fractures on John Sabine's head, and they found the distinctive shape of its leg and its eye fitted the wounds exactly. And it was one blow. I, I, I don't it. believe that. That sounds like the bite mark stuff. It vaguely fit a hole in the back of his head. Apparently it was one it, blow. It, oh, bollocks. <laughs> well, I'm just 
telling you what I'm, I've read. But anyway, police believe that Anne or Leanne wrapped the body intermittently over the years using supermarket bags, plastic sheeting and bungee cord. When it started Bun- to... Bungee cords? Yeah, to, to, you know, pull it together. Yeah. Yeah. So when it started to smell, she just... Just put another layer on. Yeah. And apparently it was. It, they said it was ironic that this process of wrapping the body so tightly, it effectively mummified it and that preserved the evidence. Had she been, not been so careful, Michelle might have uncovered something that looked more like a medical skeleton, which Anne Sabine had expected her to find. Now, the reason she expected her to find this is that Anne had told Michelle over the years that she had a medical skeleton that she'd kept from when she'd been nursing. Why the hell you would lug a medical skeleton to New Zealand, to Australia, back to the UK, makes no sense, and she kept it up in the loft. For a meme. And the police think that she was going to dispose of John. She'd she'd realised she was too sick. And they said there was nobody else involved in this, and they think a lot of flats do have a loft you can get if you've got a mm. the way the flats are laid out you can actually have a loft and she went up there and had this fall and somehow or another before she got herself to hospital she'd taken this john's body out and stuffed it under this bench in the garden the police say that it was a two-bedroom flat and there was a single bed in one room and a double bed in the other and they said there's no way that this the way this body was wrapped would it have even fitted under this double bed and she didn't just have a bedroom she had a boudoir it was all gold and glitter and she, the the stories we'll get into later she liked to entertain and i'm guessing if he was smelling up the place she wouldn't have been able to that's mm. why he was out in the garden so that is the case we go into the case of autopsy I need a coffee. I'm going to die. Hang on. Okay, so the power of editing has been about 10 minutes. Um, <laughs> we're back again. Right, so I'm going to throw some other information in there that was... It, it, it's, ah, rele- it's, hot. <laughs> it's relevant to the case, but it's not part of the case. So uh, all the children's names are out there, but I know you get confused, so I didn't use them. Five. Me, she means me, not other people, me, specifically me. Yeah, I'm I'm looking at Cameron as I'm saying this. Specifically, the five children that John and Anne had, there are now actually only four surviving, as one unfortunately did take his own life. The children that John had with his first wife, I saw an interview, a very brief interview with the son, and he'd said that he had met... His father and Anne six times. And yet it's also in reports that the five children at the time in New Zealand didn't know that they had half-brother and sister in the UK. I was going to ask that. Is the is the person that came forward to have the matching DNA is John? I would have... Because it, it, I doubt it would be one of the other four that were left in... Well, there was five. No, yeah, there, there was, was four. There was only four left, yeah. No, but the, the, and he said they'd met four times, sorry, six times. And when asked what that was like, and he said his father seemed like a, a perfectly nice, amiable chap, which is completely different to what we, we you actually see when he loses his temper when the New Zealand press were there. But, you know, stress of the moment. And he said that Anne uh, bought them presents. And he said, but the last time, he said, was really, really difficult. And they said, what do you mean? And he said, well, she burnt the dinner. She didn't want us there. And he said, we never had anything to do with them ever again. It was really quite odd. Yeah. 
by the end, as I said, she was calling herself this Lee Ann. And one of her daughters that was out in Australia, sorry, New Zealand, was definitely called Lee Ann, L-double-E hyphen Ann. So I thought that was really odd. Why she call herself the same name as her daughter that she... Maybe likes the name. So onto a, a quote that from Reddit. What has never been reported is that she used to allow young drug takers to use her flat and more than likely engage in sexual activity with them. One such young man approached police to tell them that he had entered her flat one day to find her wheelie bin, which is a large green <laughs> bin used for general waste, inside the living room. She had asked for him to take it outside as it was too heavy. He complied and noted that the bin seemed to be almost full to maximum capacity and was sloshing around as he moved it. This was never reported or looked into as the case closed very quickly once she was identified. And then again, the workers of the local store said she would regularly buy large quantities of bleach to the point that she would ask them to get larger amounts ordered in specifically for her. There was another neighbour that talks about um, being close with Anne Sabine. What was she doing with all that bleach? I know you could say she's cleaning, but to repeatedly need it, is she cl- is she cleaning up leakages that are happening from this thing? Guess, guesswork. Or to, we all know how strong bleach smells. Maybe to try and disguise it. I've heard of cat litter being used and other you know chemicals, but it doesn't usually always work. But I don't know. But if he was in the wheel, oh, anyway. This neighbour, she says. She used to wear this wide leather belt and leather gloves. She was always darling this and darling that. She liked male attention, any attention. Her bedroom was all silk and satins with a silk canopy on the ceiling. There were different coloured drapes and cushions all over the bed and the headboard was all gold. I told her her bedroom was like a tarte's boudoir. I'd never seen anything like it, but I liked her. She was a character. Now, this neighbour said that she always felt that Anne Sabine was familiar from somewhere but couldn't put a finger on it. Um, As I've mentioned before, the house had no photographs in it whatsoever um, except for this one thing from the nightclub. And she said she always wondered what was she hiding. And she said to her, haven't you got someone? She said, no, I'm better off on my own. I asked about kids and she said, God, no. I always thought I'd met her previously. Well, she'd say, no, I'm from New Zealand. But apparently this neighbour, she was from the care system too. And she'd been in and out of it in Wales. And she said it's very possible that she'd actually met her when they were children, but had just never put it together because Anne Sabine could never, ever be truthful about anything. Now, one of the daughters who'd been pushed by her own daughter decided to write Anne Sabine a letter in the year before that she died and the response she got back was a card bearing an image of a phoenix rising from the ashes that's the response she got back yeah from her own mother weird yeah inside was a note handwritten and in capitals like the phoenix i will arise from the ashes and sleep will obey me and visit thee never for my eyes are upon thee for ever and ever I have served my life sentence of shame and blame. Now it is your turn to do the same. She signed it, your nemesis, Anne Lee Sabine. It was the last contact they ever had. All right, so she's fucking mental, right? She's, I think she's taking some of them drugs. All those kids she was banging. 
Because that's not normal. <laughs> now, yet again, another friend or acquaintance, because th- they can't be friends. Who, who defines... Who has a nemesis? Uh, normal people don't have a nemesis. <laughs> no. Now, yes, again, there was it. It was a. She's described as a a lay pastor, you know, involved in the, the religious community, and she became friends. And this person had reached out on Facebook to try and find relatives, and they got in contact with um, her youngest daughter, this Lee Ann, and reached out via Facebook. And there'd been a phone call, and the first thing that the daughter said is how is my father to this friend and the friend said what father so she asked Anne and she said darling he left me now the daughter in New Zealand was really short on money um, but she said I'll come over to see my mother my mother hasn't got long to live I want to see her before she passes and apparently she was absolutely horrified Anne she was losing her voice and she said I don't want them to see me in this state and it, she was worried, apparently, they think from the inference, that the reunion that they'd had in 1984, which had gone badly wrong when there was police charges and all sorts, and they'd done the runner back to the UK, she was worried that this daughter would come over from New Zealand and bring the press back again. And she didn't want anybody to see her in, in a less than glamorous as she'd been previous. There's some weird pictures where she's in her 70s. I'll show them in a minute. She's in her 70s. She looks like something from a TV show called The New Avengers back in the 60s. She's all dressed in black, wearing these little black gloves and a belt round her waist. And she's posing this up in this hairdresser's and it's the most bizarre thing you've ever seen in your life. She's a woman in her 70s. I don't know, have you seen a bear doing a handstand? That's fucking weird. Oh, well, yeah, exactly, right. So, (laughs) Michelle, this friend and neighbour, poor woman, who found the body. She, When she was clearing out the flat, she found what she also describes a number of nasty letters which had been written by Anne Sabine to people in Badal, the, the village. She said they were unkind, full of bile, and seemed at odds with the community-loving woman she knew. So they sound like poison letters to me. That, but why did she write them? Why didn't she stick them through people's doors? It's cathartic, maybe? Maybe. Getting out the vitriol that she has because she clearly displays herself as a this picture-perfect woman to the outside. That's what she's trying to display. Mm. She's not playing a victim either. She's just She just completely whitewashes these parts of her life out. Yeah. It's really odd. And, yeah, um, Michelle now suffers with PTSD, which I'm not really surprised at, finding a body like that. 41 layers, though, o- over a body... Why didn't she try to do something to get rid of it? I well, maybe she did. Maybe this mention of that that quote I said from from um, Reddit, where she had him in a, a wheelie bin in her living room, and it was sloshing about. Was that bleach sloshing around with it? I don't know. But again, it's apparently the police think it was up in the loft. She brought it down, maybe to try and take it somewhere and dispose of it. Okay, why didn't she dismember it? over a period of time cut it from like the ankles the knees the hips yeah disarticulation from the joints yeah and yeah, then, and then yeah, just she'd, like she'd stu- get rid of it she'd studied nursing for two years you'd think she was capable I don't know I'm sure they don't teach that in nursing school how to cut someone up well well maybe yeah probably but, not but you don't when you when you're why a nurse just, I don't know it just, why not just get rid of it that way I mean some people just don't have the stomach for it maybe that's why she didn't carry on with the nursing either it's not yeah. this can be a thankless task we all know that body fluids and what have you, but I'm going to show you some pictures. There we go. 
That is the stone frog. That isn't a frog. It's in a vague shape of a frog. It looks more like a, a rugby ball than a frog. Yeah, but you can see it's a frog. It yeah. is a frog. That was her. Right. Yeah. That is the only picture I can find of John Sabine. He looks like an older Sheldon Cooper from Big Bang Theory. And that is this... W- oh. Yeah, you can zoom. Isn't that bizarre? I mean, there's about 20 pixels in it. But yeah, it's really strange. It's I don't know why she's... It's, it's like she's... The fuck is wrong with this? Um... If, if if anybody older is listening to this and they know of the, the it's the gloves. The, if she didn't have the gloves on, she, it would pretty much be just a, a pretty much a normal picture. But it's the fact of specifically wearing gloves. It'd be like if you're wearing a helmet inside to take a picture. But it's almost like a black cat suit, isn't it? And she's got her, her thumb in the waistband of the belt, yeah. pulling it down, and she's striking a pose. Yeah, it's weird. But then again, we've clearly. She's in her mid seventies, well, early seventies at that point, but you know she's feeling glam and all the rest. I'm not professional, but I'm diagnosing her with not being normal. Yeah, <laughs> but that's so. What's your thoughts on it? Apart from her not being normal, because there was definitely something wrong. Was it? Was it? Gen- I don't know. I, I I'm going to throw in the word genetic, but that's a bit mean because apparently her dad was a. You know, perfectly ordinary chap, this coal miner. Apparently, as well, one of her co- there was there was a quote from one of her cousins. Again, I'm assuming it must have been the Welsh ones because there was the aunt and uncle in London had no children. And when she came back to the UK with John, she would ring them up, various relatives. There was obviously quite a few of them, and said, "You need to give me money, or I'm going to kill myself." And her grandfather was still alive at this point. Now she was in her fifties. So grandfather in his 80s, 90s, probably. And he turned round and said to the cousin, if she did, it would probably be the best thing she could do for all of us. So none of them liked her. Her own children didn't like her. Well, they wanted their mother's love, but they didn't like her. Yeah, that's that's natural. N- nothing to do with her. That's just no. a child wanting a mother figure, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. But yeah, she's... But that picture there is the one that stuck in my head. And I was absolutely convinced I knew this woman. Absolutely convinced I knew her. And it still stays with me now. I mean, I would say the... It's the kids are the biggest victims. I, I would say that John is also a victim, but he... Well, he got clumped in the head, but he yeah, had but, years of it. He spent I mean, 40 years... He's the one that did all the bad things for the children. So at a certain point, you lose sympathy. Is it much to blame as her? Or yeah, for in, abandoning these children. children. So you lose the sympathy vote. And then mm-hmm. when this happens, of course, it's no one deserves to get the red clapped in with a dodgy looking frog but but they'd been together for 40 years yeah i'm pretty sure he pissed her off sometimes in that 40 years but no i'm I'm thinking was there something else that was keeping them together because he he abandoned his first wife and his two children from that really easy to buzz off with Anne. that thing where did he find a no no i i'm thinking if people have a if people are in a bad environment or something goes wrong it's there was more comforting when there's two people that's why dragging someone down with you then you're not just by yourself would they have run away from their kids if they were independent? But because there's two of them, it's easier to do. You've it's almost like a partner in crime. He'd found yeah. somebody that was as bad as him. He he didn't think anything of leaving his children. So he he met up with the one of them at least when he was a lot lot older. But for whatever reason, they just lost touch because Anne didn't want to keep in contact with his children. So he just like. Mm-hmm. But he may well have been shortly after when he got clumped in the head with the frog. But as I say, I reckon there's a book in this somewhere. I really do. There's so Maybe. much. 
you know, the years that they spent maybe bouncing. There's, there's mention of Perth, Australia. There's mention of Sydney, Australia. There's her being a nightclub singer. Where this millionaire came from is all in her head, I suspect. But, yeah, that's John and Anne Sabine. Oh, that's a yawning. At some point throughout this whole thing, I got really tired. So that, that's why I had to go away for that coffee. I'm drinking it now and I'm slowly scolding myself, but I'm really tired. No, I, that hit me earlier. That's uh, why I had a coffee before we started this. Uh, As an alcohol and recording, although people have said, why don't you get drunk and do it? No, that wouldn't end well. Not I'm, with me, it wouldn't. I'm tired at the best of times. I know people say for a, a night owl or an early bird, but I'm just a, I'm just a tired penguin. I'm just, I, I'm never in, I'm never in the middle. I'm just always tired at this point. What penguin? I don't know those things are fucked, and I, look, I feel fucked. Like, no, penguins I, are cute. At this point, it's my personality. I think to just be tired. <laughs> With the podcast, because I know when you, it's just slightly segueing from the case. Mm-hmm. Initially, when you wanted to make the podcast, you wanted it to be sort of a more slick, rather than have a conversational style where like humor's interjected and like I talk randomly over things or yeah. random anecdotes from life, such as chickens appearing out of places mm-hmm. i think a an atmosphere or a podcast of this nature it is more conducive of what we'd like to make because i know there's that thing where a podcast should either make you laugh cry be scared or entertained and if you're it's not if it's not one of those things it's something like you're being educated or taught isn't is the other one and we're not professionals when we do anything like this so it's just as i think that's fairly bloody obvious yeah, considering I'm dying and have to have a coffee midway through. And I think the, the also the premise of being, you know, slick and perfect and all the rest of it isn't going to happen when my teeth don't fit most and of I'm the bloody time. too much of an ape to, <laughs> to yeah, figure that it, out. Yeah, it wasn't, it, well, that was, it, it was a wishful thinking. Yeah, I think as well, um, if, a, if a podcast is in more of a conversational format and it's interesting as well as you being taught, there's a, there's a narrative, there's a structure, there's a... There's a vein that runs through the podcast, and in this case, it's it's, a, it's true crime. And I say I'm more in the background. I just I edit the podcast badly, but it's yours is you're the one that does the researching and writes the case and formats the the script. But yeah, I think that's better for us to be ourselves, which is easier to do than like a facade of some people where oh, they the grief, yeah 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 I I'm, I'm I could never act, uh, and hopefully people that listen to the podcast stay through right to the end. I might put them. I don't know what to put them. But those little outtakes that I do where you figure out how to talk mm-hmm. or I just stutter because people surely have picked up by now that I stutter and I slur my words and I don't know why. My tongue isn't weird shaped. And I have I have brain farts, absolute, complete brain farts and I just cannot get a word out or I stumble over something and then you mash it all together and I sound like a complete and utter n- nut job. Or you'll make a noise, you go, eh, and I edit it together and it goes, ooh, ooh, and it sounds like a laser mm-hmm. beam. In the previous podcast, there was a, a portion where somehow the audio got messed up. It fundamentally got removed and just sort of cut between it. But it's stuff like that where I think humour can be found within stuff. Because even though murder itself isn't funny, things can be funny within it or around it. Yeah. Like, yeah, but... if, if you were to fight... Like, okay, if someone getting killed isn't funny, but if you found out that a six-foot-tall dildo landed on someone and killed them, that would be funny. I don't care who you are, that's funny. So... The murder itself isn't funny, but the the things Circumst- are circumstances, circumstances can be yeah. funny, yeah. yeah. And it's just I think it's highlighting those things. And I think think again, yeah. you 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 were disappointed that it was a stone frog, and it's not an obvious stone frog. It's it's almost like a stylization. It was probably something fancy that was paid for from a garden centre. But we well, keep trying to be sneaky and be like, 
No one was. No animals were harmed apart from maybe a frog, and it's made of stone. That doesn't count. Well, I'm, not, I'm not hoping a frog was killed. That's not what I'm saying. But it's this needs to be a running theme of familiar side. So yeah, and she's looking at me funny as I'm saying that. Or there's somehow an animal has ended up injured, and it's not intentional, but it's really common. And this is the first time that a woman has done it. And I know, I know it's sort of disproportionate that men are the ones that do the crime uh-huh. or, or commit murder. I can give you the stats, but I'm not going to. Go on. Um, that's why I was like, well, let's see if there's a, a woman, a female one, like an interesting one that happens to be female. Yeah, but you threw out a case to me and I went off researching and yeah, it the, didn't the, end the up. Arturo Gatti. Yeah, and it didn't end up the way I thought it would end up. It's, it, that is going to be one that needs a lot of research. But it's definitely a murder case, but it's not um, a slam it's, it's dunk. Not, it's not conclusive. No, it's still ongoing. It's actually, 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 actually. A bit of information on that one is he was a um, famous boxer yeah. back in the day and very successful and he died. In, it was murdered. There in, was no... Yeah, in suspicious circumstances. And yeah. it's quite interesting because it's, I'm interested in combat sports. So mother was like, oh, what case should we do next? And I was like... What about this dude? Yeah, so I went looking and it's it's still an open case. Um, no one's been convicted for it. There's some people who've been convicted. A couple of people, I believe, have been convicted in the court of public opinion, as they would say. But there, again, that one's open and it's like, ooh, yes, I maybe that might come at a much future point if we're still here in six months' time in lockdown in the middle of summer. For the UK. Oh, COVID-2, electric boogaloo. It's never going to end. I don't remember before coronavirus, and I'm, no. I'm not going to know a time after coronavirus. But we're all going to have really lovely gardens by the end of this, because no one's going on holiday anyway. You can't go mostly past five miles outside your radius to go shopping. You're allowed to go out once a day for exercise. So air the world and its well, uncle. Everyone's, everyone's going to have a podcast as well, aren't they? Because everyone's like, oh, we can't do anything. Let's just make a podcast. Or they listen to them and do like I do. I mean, I've, I've got about 20, 26 podcasts on rotation. And I listen to them when I'm doing, certainly when the weather's nice, it's doing the garden. And I can literally spend hours. At, God knows what the neighbours must think. We've both been out in the garden. Cameron's, you know, going around with a blooming hedge trimmer and things like that. And I've got earphones in i'm listening to a podcast he's listening to a podcast and the neighbors think neither of them are speaking to each other yeah. they're out there for five hours and they haven't spoken a word because yeah. they're listening to a podcast and that's what i do and then yeah so that's us and i'm gonna go fall asleep or just be sick i don't know <laughs> um peace <laughs> i hope you enjoy so hopefully you've enjoyed today's podcast please like follow and subscribe as it helps us out a lot it's free and you can always change your mind in the future Please give us a follow on the gram at Murder Me on Monday Podcast and email us, and by us I mean mother, at Murder Me on Monday Podcast at gmail.com. Much love. Bees on the mind. Buzz, buzz, shut up. Anne was calling herself <laughs> by road. If you... <laughs> what, you, what did you just choke? <laughs> just choke.